69, dudes! Good evening, everybody. This is another episode of Rock Hard Caucus. This is a very important episode, actually. It's a big milestone for us. This is our 69th episode. <laughs> Never thought we'd make it. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, I get to say this is our 69th episode. We're all very it excited about that. It is the sex that. number. It yeah. is the sex number. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get to 420 someday. <laughs> but give us many years. Oh, yeah. We we usually do like two numbered episodes a month, so it's going to take us a long time to get to 420. <laughs> I'm Justin. I've got Evan and Natalie here tonight co-hosting. Hello. Hey. Hello. We're Yeah, I'm in a much better mental state than in the last podcast we recorded uh, <laughs> directly after NotFest. <laughs> yeah. We were a little sleepy. <laughs> yeah. Very different subject matter for this one, too. Yeah. This is uh, a little bit more, hmm, would you say serious? Is that a, an adjective that makes sense? This is a more <laughs> serious subject? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little less uh, less about entertainment and culture. This is more about um, rules and government and the people who run our lives, I guess. But uh, the three of us, we're not super qualified to talk about such a serious matter. We've got an important guest tonight, and I'm going to read uh, this guest's bio from his articles that I was reading yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Evan Berger. Evan Berger is a longtime political organizer who lives in Slater. He was the Iowa caucus director for Bernie Sanders' 2020 campaign and is now a partner at the progressive consulting firm Hegemony Strategies. Welcome to the show, Evan Berger. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm one of those vermin political consultants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we like you right away for that. (laughs) Heap abuse upon me. I deserve it. No, I should have sent you my bio. I used I wrote a couple articles for Jacobin back in the day. That one was oh. a little bit more hard hitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is your bio from Bleeding Heartland, which right. is a little <laughs> softer. <laughs> a little difference between those two outlets. There. A different audience. Yeah. <laughs> so we're doubled up on Evans tonight. And uh I got this bio from your articles that you wrote about the redistricting process which is ongoing currently you've written seven of these so far uh do you plan on writing more of them (laughs) i do (laughs) i do it's an addiction i mean you know i love electoral politics because it's um you know it's it matters in our lives but also there's like a numbers component that gives it like this veneer of objectivity (laughs) and i think uh (laughs) redistricting is, is a good example of that where like if you get too deep into it, it's just like, oh, it's just all about the numbers. You don't have to think about people at all. It's just like um, the numbers <laughs> mm-hmm. tell us what's what's happening. It's like um, whatever, um, numerancy or whatever the spell casting with numbers is. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then you take a step back and you're like, oh, wait, you know, this is actually, uh, there's more to it than the numbers. Um, you know, there are real people involved and, uh, you know, data is important, but it's not... Um, <laughs> 
it's not everything. Uh, people can change their minds and, you know, numbers aren't, aren't, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so yes, redistricting, I, I, I'm obsessed with it. it. It gives me this, uh, a sense of calm when I look at these numbers mm, okay. and I look at these maps and, uh, <laughs> you know, it does impact our lives to some extent. And I think, you know, you know, if I'm going to spend all this time on it, I might as well share it with, uh, with the world at large. Uh, so that's yeah. what I've been doing. In addition to the sense of calm, do you get at all a sense of dread? <laughs> I, I get a sense of hatred for the Democratic Party. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, like Evan that. knows what to say on our show. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I might as well just like dive into my um, hobby horse on this topic, which is uh, I need to mention it more. I, you know, I've re- I read, wrote an entire uh, bleeding heart article proving this point, but I, I need to like bring it back up again and again, which is that redistricting will not save us here in Iowa. We are a red mm-hmm. state <laughs> yeah. right now. Yes, there was population growth in urban areas, but as long as Democrats uh, just see themselves as a as a party of urban and professional classes, we're screwed here in Iowa. It's a permanent, it's going to be a permanent Republican majority. And again, this is why where redistricting is helpful. You know, I can show some numbers. <laughs> I can, I can, you know, if you look at the numbers, it shows that there are simply too many rural people in the state uh, for Democrats to win with their current party coalition. And I, I don't see anyone in the um, anyone in the state Democratic establishment who's really come to terms with this fact. And, and that's why I feel a sense of hatred. It's like uh, or anger or whatever you want to call it. It's um yeah. Yeah, it's like my I'm I'm gonna live here until I die. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens in Iowa is gonna directly impact me and my family, and um, no one seems to have any sort of sense of urgency around the fact that uh, yeah, Republicans have a have a permanent lock on on the government. Right. Yeah. And your bio said you live in Slater. Uh, how small of a town is that? Uh, it's pretty small. We got a grocery store um, still, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> We've got a Casey's, uh, of course. Is it old brand or new brand? Oh man, they haven't, they haven't changed the sign. Right on. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay yeah. that's classic. Yeah. But the, ne- the next town over is one of those towns that has two Casey's and no other gas stations. Huxley. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're not quite to their level yet. But uh, yeah, I, I live in Slayer. What is it? I don't know, 1,500 people probably. Okay, um, yeah. South pretty of small. Yeah. yeah. Oh, south of Ames. Okay. So are you represented by Republicans right now? I'd imagine uh, so. Hell, hell yes, I am. Yeah, okay. uh, Randy Feenstra. <laughs> fourth district. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fourth fourth district, guy. of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so I'm at, we're right on the border. So like a mile that way is Polk County. Yeah. And okay. uh, But I'm, I'm in the Story County. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. And your articles you wrote about Story County as part of the uh, your examples of yes. hypothetical yeah. futures. It explains my obsession with this this particular area (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay i I didn't uh bring it up earlier but one of the first things that you said just now uh was i love electoral politics and i would just like to (laughs) just point that out again for everyone listening that is the quote to pull from this episode is (laughs) i love electoral politics from evan berger No, I don't have any. I, I've, I've totally accepted it. That's why you know I wrote that consultant thing into my bio. It's like this is my you know. It's like whatever. I'm a I'm a sinner. I accept it. You know, like this is I. I you know, look, here, here's how I think about electoral politics. You know, I'm a proud member of DSA, proud member of Iowa CCI. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that whatever. There's there's these multiple arenas of struggle, and one of them is electoral politics. This is the one that I happen to be good at. So this is yeah. where I'm gonna spend my 
a lot of my energy, not all of my energy, obviously I still want to do um, stuff in uh, other organizing spaces, but we can't just write off who's in power writing the laws that govern our lives. Yeah. We shouldn't cede that ground entirely. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know if it's defensible, but that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people just see it as an either or thing, which is, I think kind of discredits both, you know, outside organizing and electoral politics. Cause it can't, I mean, there's things that can happen, you know, it's just not, <laughs> not, uh, the things we necessarily like hope for at the best, you know, but. Oh, I didn't do this on, I didn't do this on purpose, but I'm, this is my shirt today. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's John Green for supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, John Green's a great example. I, I've known, known John for a long time. And, you know, I think the vision with electoral politics is that, you know, the movement and the electoral uh, arena have, you know, a dialectical relationship, right? Where like, you know, a, a positive dialectical relationship, they feed off each other. You have electoral wins that builds the the movement outside of, you know, in the streets or whatever. And that builds like electoral wins, so on and so forth. And eventually we get to a, a revolution. But, the um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think John Green's a great example of, uh, you know, someone who, I, I don't know that he'd put it in these terms, but... Um, take seriously the crisis of the democratic party in our state and in our country <laughs> yeah i think he would agree with that from yeah. the conversations we've had with him he said something i think when he was on our show a few months ago about how the people in power need to start taking these crises seriously or there's going to be uh more violent consequences for them i don't know if he used those exact <laughs> words but that was the idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i uh i guess i was thinking more in terms of he models what like a democrat should be but that's that's a great <laughs> thing as well i mean you know the timing is the timing you know we're recording this show on what thursday night in the midst mm-hmm. of this like congressional shit show oh yeah and you know all i can think of is that simpsons screen <laughs> you know, the Democratic National Convention. And yeah, the, it's like, the we hate life in ourselves. We can't <laughs> yeah. govern. Yeah, no, we can't govern. It's like, oh my fucking God. No wonder people don't vote for you. Yeah. Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess, you know, what's what's the deal with hegemony strategies, if you want to oh, okay. pitch that to us real quick? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to, but since you asked. Yeah, so I, uh, like you mentioned, I, I worked on Bernie. Um, I actually worked for Bernie both times around both presidential campaigns. Yeah. Um, so in 2016 or 2015, mostly um, I was the advanced director, which was mm-hmm. an interesting experience that uh, meant that I put together like all of the events around the state, which was like out of, well, whatever, it was kind of in my wheelhouse, but it was very divorced from organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. And then um, in 2020, I had something that was more in my uh, more aligned with my interests, which I, I was the Iowa caucus director, like you said. Um, so right. part of that was I ran the data department here in state again with this thing with like numbers, you know, <laughs> clinging to them <laughs> as some sort of comfort yeah, object, some, um, some level of abstraction from the real right. horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I worked with some, you know, we had an amazing team. We put together an amazing team on the, on the data side of things and like a modern organizing campaign really just runs on, data electoral organizing campaign runs on data it's all about is this person a supporter are they not is this person likely to be a supporter you know likely to be a volunteer so on and so forth and um 
yeah, so I, I worked with two, two people specifically that, that I worked with were, were uh, Harry Baker and Steph Munson. Mm-hmm. So we did the Iowa thing. We all three of us um, worked on the recount <laughs> as well, oh. the caucus recount. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that was fun. We can talk more about that. The, um, you know, and then we went off <laughs> and we kept working on Bernie, like with other states, whatever. But then Bernie, you know, we all know how that went at the end. And um, we went off and we were all doing our own things, kind of like independently consulting with campaigns and you know after a few months of that so like i did jamal bowman you know i, I came uh-huh. out at the end and helped out yeah um with data there and uh and you know it was like this is good this is a good thing to do during the pandemic <laughs> like it's it, there's not going to be a, like an office that i can go that we can go to <laughs> so right. we might as well just like work remotely together so anyway whatever so we, we we started up this company so we could uh bring the bring the gang back together and um you know our vision is we want to bring um presidential level data support to campaigns and organizations of all sizes. So we learned, I learned all these amazing tools and like methods and, you know, analysis on Bernie. And it's like, literally every campaign should be doing this. (laughs) And (laughs) uh, that's, that's the model that, you know, got me over my, my hatred of this term consulting. Cause like, you know, Indira Shoemaker is never going to be able to, a campaign for, for Des Moines city council, isn't going to hire like a data director. But if we can cobble together 20 of them, you know, we can make a living. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. We should try to get her on the show, by the way. Just a note, note for us. Okay. So I think I want to save the like caucus shit talking for maybe the end because that'll be fun, I think. But uh, (laughs) let's get like really nerdy about the redistricting first. So, on a very fundamental level, I mean, I sort of know the deal here. There's a census every 10 years. And once that data comes out, every state and the whole country uses that data to redraw congressional lines and like state legislature lines and stuff like that. Is there anything I'm missing from that just very basic knowledge? Yeah, I mean, that's the short version. All right. The next step is that, you know, each state determines how they draw those lines. (laughs) In Iowa, we have a very uh, unique system. Okay. So like everything else, kind of, uh, the states get to make up their own rules. That it's like that with per- basically every step of elections, it seems. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like we're laboratories of democracy or fascism, <laughs> depending on uh, who's in control. Yeah. God, America's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> States' rights, man. <laughs> that's, that's such a dumb way to do this. <laughs> It's almost like the uh, the rules that we set up, you know, that some dudes set up back at the beginning are, you know, maybe out of date and should be revised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, Iowa could make up some dumb rules, but it impacts everybody else. It's not like it. it's like self-contained within right. a state. Like, this is how, like, electing president works. Every state just, like, gets to decide, really, what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what is uh, unique about Iowa's process for redistricting? So historically, Iowa has had a really good process. Stop me if I'm getting too in the weeds here. No, get, yeah, go as deep as you'd like. Okay. So back in like the 70s, 60s and 70s, Iowa hadn't redrawn the district lines for decades. New congressional data had come out and population had shifted significantly but the districts had stayed the same for, I want to say like 30 years. <laughs> wow. 
And uh, finally, it got bad enough that someone sued and it went to the state Supreme Court and they said, yeah, this is a joke. Like there's twice as many people in this district as there is in this one. You can't just do this. Mm -hmm. And um, they said, you know, so what came out of that process was um, the Iowa model of redistricting that you'll, you know, whatever everyone loves to talk about. (laughs) Um, And what, what that basically means is that the census results come out. And then instead of them going directly to the legislature and the legislators get to draw maps based on those results, um, they go to the Legislative Services Agency, which is a nonpartisan government agency that serves the legislature. Full disclosure, I worked for the LSA as a, so I worked for the LSA like in college on like IT stuff. Okay. (laughs) Um, I wasn't involved in redistricting at all, but they do all sorts of things for the legislature but this specific role is like, you know, is like well-defined. They, uh, they take that census data, they draw the best maps they can come up with. And then only at that point, they send them to the legislature who gets to vote that first round map up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say best maps they can come up with, the things that they look at in decreasing order of importance are mm-hmm. um, any, any map has to be contiguous meaning like you can't have like a blob here and a blob there. Right. And it also for congressional maps, they also have to be made up of whole counties. So you can't split Polk County in half. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the most, that's the paramount importance. Then the second most important thing to look at is population equality. So there is like a federal standard for population equality. Roughly what the courts have determined is that all districts have to be like, I think somewhere around like, 0.7% of each other in terms of population. Uh, but Iowa has, the, the LSA uses a much, much stricter standard of population equality, whereby, you know, there's a difference of 99 people between the largest congressional district and the smallest one mm-hmm. <laughs> in the in the currently proposed map, which nice. is crazy. I mean, it's great. It's, it's extremely equal. It speaks to the time that the LSA put in where they found a map that was both extremely equal and compact, which is the third measure that they have to take into consideration. So Iowa code defines two measures of compactness. Again, stop me if this is getting too nerdy, (laughs) (laughs) but there are, you know, so compactness is the idea that districts shouldn't be these bizarre shapes. Mm -hmm. And Iowa code has two mathematical formulas that you can use that you have to use to determine whether one uh, proposed district is more compact than another proposed district. Um, They're called length width compactness and perimeter compactness. Okay. Do you want me to go into it? I don't know. You got to tell me when to stop. This is very geometric now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is down to geometry. And actually it's um, topography is what I think about Mm -hmm. when I, when I look at this, where it's like, I'm sure there's a way to, or whatever, there are formulas that maximize or that minimize these or optimize these formulas. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's the field that they fall under. Right. Okay. So, so this is how we ended up with just like the four quadrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if yeah. you think about it, you know, like a long rectangle, the most compact way to split it up is basically to do like four con- co- quadrants, like you said. That, yeah. that minimizes the perimeters and it also minimizes the difference between the length and the width of each district. Yes. Yeah, this is way less interesting than Nafest. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. It's good. Okay, so the uh, the LSA, remind me what that stood for. Legislative Services Agency. Okay, they come up with a good map, and then the legislature, the state legislature, votes that up or down. Yeah. So the LSA like takes these 
three standards into consideration and they have to balance the three, which is where they're, you know, where the objectivity breaks down because there's no way to say like this much compactness is worth this much equality. <laughs> so like, um, there's always a judgment call, uh, yeah. involved and the LSA makes that judgment call, which is good because it's better that they do it than the politicians who are directly impacted by these, mm-hmm. by these lines. So they made the judgment call of here's the map that best balances population equality. Again, they did it extremely well. You know, like they made a map that was extremely equal with compactness. So the map they drew is not the most compact map. It is, and it's also not the most equal map, but it is the map that best balances, in my opinion, best balances Mm -hmm. those two, um, those two standards. So at this point they send it to, well, actually, since we're nerding out here, the, um, (laughs) The, the next step is that there's a public comment period. Right. And that just happened, right? Yeah, that just concluded. It's conducted by this commission called the Temporary Redistricting Advisory Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> track for short. The track, yes. Yes. And um, so they they held three public hearings this time. They're all virtual. And you could also submit written comment. Uh, so they listen to all these comments. They compile them into a report. And then they send it to the legislature saying, here's the LSA's proposed map. Here's what the public had to say about it. Now it's in your hands. And I will also just mention that this time around, the track report, um, the the vast majority of the comments during that public comment period were in favor of this map, mine included. I, I submitted a comment. Right. I was going to ask, I assume that you observed these meetings. Um, this was the uh, 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Was there anything notable that happened at these meetings aside from just a bunch of affirmative comments about their map? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. There, okay. I mean, whatever. This is all anecdotal. But okay. um, <laughs> here, here are the things I noticed. Um, so first off, there's this crazy libertarian dude. Okay, who... <laughs> this is what I like to hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was the only comment or this is the only commenter who got shut down by the chair. Like literally (laughs) they cut his mic. Yeah. Um, And, you know, as libertarians are wont to do, he was like quoting the constitution shit. And it's like, bro, like I do not like I'm in this, I am very deep in this world Mm -hmm. and I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, I remember what he was talking about. He was talking about, he, he, he somehow connected it to Tom Miller, the attorney general. Uh Uh-huh. The Democratic Attorney Attorney General, they must yeah, have right. some beef with Tom Miller. And, um, you know, he was demanding to see, you know, to make sure that there was no communication between the LSA and the Attorney General's office. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is this is great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because the uh, the LSA is not supposed to take any sort of partisanship into account when they're putting Correct. their maps together. Yeah. Yeah. Do they just use like a computer model to just spit out a bunch of maps that could fit the criteria, basically, and then just sift through them all and decide which one looks the most appropriate? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because like this is a case where like computers have gotten in, you know, I won't say infinitely, um, exponentially better. And mm-hmm. even in the last 10 years, since the last time we did this, the computers right. are so much better. So like now any of us can go on, you know, whatever these there are these websites where you can just draw the map and see what the numbers are. and you know, the LSA like has their like proprietary or whatever they, they pay for a version of that software. But the tricky part of course, is that judgment call where it's like, okay, there's a, there's a small number of maps that meet these criteria of like they're equal in population and they're compact. 
but um, which one best, you know, balances the different considerations and they can't take partisanship into account. They just take, right. you know, compactness. And- you know what it reminds me of? Why don't they of? simply kill 99 people so that everything's equal? <laughs> <laughs> we can do a Perfect lottery equality. and just kill 99 yeah. and then we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I was going to say it reminds me of like generating like NFL schedules. <laughs> <where> <laughs> they have certain criteria for like who can play who and when. <laughs> and then it's basically the same thing. Yeah, or Moneyball or like fantasy football. I mean, it's any of this stuff. It, you know, and like, look, I'm, I'm just going to say it. A lot of these people on Twitter who are like, you know, redistricting Twitter is a lot of people like that who only, you know, they're just like looking at these numbers and seeing how, how well the numbers can fit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I feel bad about myself when I participate in those conversations. <laughs> Do people gamble on this? Um, I'm sure there's something going on. My... Um, my 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 friend Pete Del Sandro <laughs> has mm-hmm. talked has talked about uh he, you know he's he's like a old Chicago guy um talked about some sort of uh wagers that took place <laughs> on, <laughs> on the Chicago lines I can't remember what it was <laughs> wow okay so uh, an additional complication this time around is that the census data was delayed because of COVID stuff well and yeah. What, is that Partially why? because of or, COVID stuff. What was the other reason? <laughs> I mean, Trump was trying to yeah. decrease the number of people of color who were counted. <laughs> Sabotage. Okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> there was a thing with the questions that was like a big oh, right. yeah, battle. Yeah, like not That's asking right. people if they are citizens or not, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the citizenship question was a big thing. There was also like funding and like, I mean, basically, whatever. He was running this incompetent, like his whole goal was to like dismantle the federal government and the um, Census Bureau was like a big part of that. Right. Okay. So that because of that delay, uh, we missed some deadlines in Iowa where like this was supposed to be done like two weeks ago, right? Uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be done in April. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember seeing a September 15th deadline for something. Oh, yeah. That was like essentially when they wrote these rules, they said no matter, no matter how badly the legislature fucks this up, Mm. they'll definitely have it done by September. So, you know, it's like, no way will this thing drag on until September. So let's just set it <laughs> September 15th. And then that, that's the, or yeah, September yeah, 1st right. was one deadline in September. Yeah. 15th. Okay. Our government's yeah. really good at kicking the can down the road. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. one of their biggest favorite pastimes. <laughs> Is this the first time that we've blown past that like last deadline? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Even come close. Okay. There's something in the Iowa Constitution that possibly gives the Iowa Supreme Court the authority to just draw their own lines if we miss that deadline, right? Correct. Yeah. And it seems like they just chose not to do that. They def- That's exactly what they chose to not to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, the... Yeah, so I mean that's that's the backstop. It's like okay, if the legislature fucks things up so badly, they don't even get it done by September fifteenth. If it doesn't go into effect by September fifteenth, then the Supreme Court can take over. And the whole reason behind this is like, again, going back to what what happened, like why this whole model came about. Yeah, the legislature was like not doing their job, and the Supreme Court had to intervene. So when they rewrote the the laws, they said, you know, or you know, they rewrote code. They said, well, we're going to take over if they continue to do a bad if the legislature continues to do a bad job at this. And this was back in like the seventies, like you were saying before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was nineteen seventy one was like the first map that was drawn under this. Okay. Under this model, so it was the sixties. Yeah. Right. So um, the Supreme Court 
played very coy um, with this whole deadline. Uh, I mean, for something that like is, I think, pretty broadly impacts, you know, Iowans. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely uh, kept their mouths. You know, they were very tight lipped about it to the public. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, they were not tight lipped about it to legislate to Republican leadership. OK, so they issued this cryptic statement. I mean, honestly, you, you guys should read it. It's like um, it's like interpreting the tea leaves over here. It's like uh, the, and this was back, at, you know, when, when it was clear that like the census wasn't going to release data until very late. Yeah. The Supreme Court issued this statement saying we like the Iowa model. We're going to, you know, we we're going to uh, make sure that the Iowa model of redistricting is followed. Um, and it's like, oh, great. So that means you're going to follow the laws. It's like, oh, and then you read it again. And it's like, oh, wait, maybe that means that you're going to like let the legislature do, you know, like ignore this deadline. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so that's what it turned out to mean is that they let the legislature ignore the deadline. However, um, so they didn't say anything about it uh, again for months and months on end. Fortunately, like Republican leadership in the legislature doesn't have very good message discipline because <laughs> they uh, one day I was like checking my Google alerts and I had one set up for, you know, redistricting Iowa or whatever. And I saw that this um, this I can't remember this conservative website. It's like Freedom Square or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> Town, Town Square. I can't remember what it's called. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> is, uh, you know, had this interview with John Wills, who's a member of the the Senate leadership. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, the Supreme Court said that, like, we're fine. Like, we don't have to worry about the deadline. (laughs) 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 It's like, oh, cool. (laughs) Um, I wish they would have told, like, everyone that and not just you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad you, you just, like, you know, blabbed about it to this this reporter air quotes. Uh, <laughs> it seems like justices just all over the country are very dedicated to publicly maintaining <laughs> that like facade of like objectivity. And so they, they never want to like outright make any kind of like statements that give any sort of hint as to their judgment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they all, but they, at the same time, they know which side their bread is buttered on. <laughs> well, yeah, they were all appointed by Republican governors <laughs> right. and like, Republicans run the whole state, so. (laughs) So yeah, that's the uh, that's the story of the Supreme Court's role. So yeah, I guess to close it out, they on September fourteenth they issued a statement saying, "Oh yeah, we're going to let the legislature keep doing their job. The new deadline is December first. So Mm -hmm. as long as they get it done by December first, they're they're good." Yeah. Which again, wish they would have told us that a little earlier, but. at least they set some sort of deadline because now that it's entering the legislature, you know, now that the legislature gets to consider this, these maps, that's when the real danger to redistricting comes in. Right. And you got into this a little bit in your Bleeding Heartland articles. So the legislature is convening on October 5th to vote on the first map. That's correct. And because the legislature is dominated by Republicans, it seems like they're going to vote that down, correct? That's, you know, if I had to put money on it, yeah. that, that's what um, I would put money on. I would, uh, you know, this kind of comes back to the interesting things that happened in those track meetings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was the crazy libertarian guy. That was, that was fun. But the yeah. more like worrying one was this like guy who had like a very, he had very clear talking points mm-hmm. <laughs> that to me sounded like 
this is the Republican playbook and they just wanted to get it on the record. Yeah. Which yeah. are it all hinges on rural representation. So again, in our current partisan coalitions, as we all know, <laughs> um, you know, Democrats can't win a seat in rural Iowa to save their life. Right. Um, and so, you know, you can if you know, if you don't want to say like, oh, we want a Republican map, all you have to do is say we want a rural, a map that preserves rural representation. Uh-huh. So yeah, he adds like stats on it or whatever. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe you put these together. But this also sounds very similar to what the uh, Republican consultants on uh, Twitter were saying. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was the other interesting thing that happened in track. That to me, you know, and I think there are other indications that Republicans are going to vote this down. I, like I said, I would put money on them voting it down, but I, it's not 100%. Like, they're mm-hmm. the, the kind of other factor that we have to keep in mind is that the second, so this is the first map, the legislature only gets to vote it up or down. They can't make amendments to this first map. Right. So LSA sends the map to track. Track sends the map to the legislature. Legislature says, yes, we want this map or no, we don't want this map. At, if they vote no, it goes back to the LSA. LSA draws an, a second round map using, you know, roughly the same criteria that they used for the first round. They send it to the legislature again. Legislature for that second round map, again, gets an up or down vote on it. If they vote it down, it goes back to the LSA for one last map, a third round map. Yeah. And that third round map goes to the legislature. And at that point, <laughs> the legislature can directly amend the map. They can write an amendment saying, we want to move the boundary of House District um, 52 from 2nd Street to 3rd Street. Or uh-huh. they could write an amendment saying, strike everything. <laughs> and instead, we want these districts, um, which we... That, that are that are more favorable to them. So that's yeah. the real danger. And I think, you know, the fact that there was some stuff in the public comment period that, you know, was related to that. And also, I think the Supreme Court's kind of willingness to look the other way are like the arguments that this is something we should worry about. The one nice thing about the Supreme Court's statement uh, or interpretation or guidance is mm-hmm. that this December 1st date makes it a little bit tricky to get all the way to a third map. Um, so like, obviously here we are on October, you know, it's uh, September 30th now. Right. And the legislature hasn't even voted on the first map. So if the LSA takes their sweet time turning around the second and the third maps, there might not, or the second map, there might not even be time to get to a third map before December 1st. Okay. Yeah. That That's not going to save us because clearly the Supreme court is, <laughs> They, they want to do everything they can to make sure that they don't have to get, get their fingers dirty with this process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they could push that deadline back again, but yeah, they it could is just like one it good sign. Further. Yeah. Okay, so... What do you mean? Sorry, sorry. The third portion, they can just draw whatever they want if they vote yes. down the... Then why wouldn't they just fucking do that? They're skeezes <laughs> anyway. They're just going to do that. Because <laughs> right. they, they don't give a shit about rules. Right. If you give them any more time, they're just going to fucking be like, fuck all three of these maps. We're going to draw whatever we want. <laughs> well, that's what I was yeah. going to say. What is your opinion of the current map? Because it seems like it's already, I mean, fairly favorable to Republicans to begin with. Right. I mean, I, it, like I said, it's great on equality. It's great on compactness. I think it's a fair map. I mean, it's it's good. It's, yeah. um, you know, I could draw a better map for Democrats. That's for sure. But um, Absolutely. <laughs> but you're not allowed to. Yeah. You don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. But Natalie, you're exactly right. I mean, here's the thing. So, you know, just to mention, October 5th, 
just to put that in context, that's Tuesday, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is right around the corner. If Republicans convene that special session, since they're in the majority, they set the timetable. If all they do is they come into the special session, they say, this map is terrible. It silences rural voices. We're voting it down. <laughs> and they send it back to the LSA. That tells me they're, yeah, they're like, fuck it. Let's, we're going to the third map and we're amending. Yeah. You're exactly right. And they'll do that shit and we won't. And that's why we're fucking losers. <laughs> And that's why we have the we can't govern sign at the yeah. Democratic <laughs> National Convention. So everything we've everything we've been talking about so far in the process, uh, Iowa has some obstacles in the way of gerrymandering, like the yeah. the contiguous, the equal population, the compactness. The compactness, uh, especially, sort of dissuades you from making the weird snakes and worms the Dan out of Crenshaw your districts. Map. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this this third map where they can just amend it however they want, is that really however they want or are there any kind of restrictions or standards uh, there? We've never so we've never gone to a third map. We we they've okay. never amended a third map. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know. I mean, again, this is where like interpretation comes in, you know. It's like yeah. whatever you can write rules all you want, there's always going to be interpretation. Yeah. And so the interpretation here is Okay, you've got your first round map, second round map, third round map. But, you know, third round is written, you know, is drafted by the LSA. It's probably not going to be as good as the first or second round maps because those were their best options. But yeah. it's still going to have a very high level of population equality, a very high level of compactness. So since those are the standards that are written into Iowa code, if the legislature amends it to a map that's clearly worse on those mm-hmm. standards, does that violate? It seems like it would violate Iowa code <laughs> because yeah. you're saying, you know, code says maps should be this, they should be this, they should be this. And then the legislature is intervening, take, taking a perfectly good map and making it shittier. It seems like that would mm. be, and it definitely would go to the courts, like whatever, yeah. Mark Elias or whatever, the Democrats would sue. Yeah. It would go to the courts, but the court it would go to is the Supreme Court. First off, because the state Supreme Court has like, you know, authority over but over it, but also because the federal courts have said that gerrymandering is so fucked up in the United States that they cannot deal with it. They're not going to get involved because that, <laughs> otherwise that's all they would do is just, okay. <laughs> is just deal with gerrymandering. So they're like, we can't we can't deal with this state courts. You got to deal with this. Wow, Which, they're at capacity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, isn't that the mark of like a healthy country? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. So there was something I wanted to ask you directly. In your fifth article in this series, <laughs> you, you urged readers to uh, pay more attention to the redistricting process and to be ready to argue for fair maps in the court of public opinion. <laughs> So my question for you is, uh, what can we do? Sure. And do you think that uh, the decisions that our government makes in this process will actually take our thoughts into account and what we want, or will they just disregard us? I'm glad. Look, you're you're hitting a, a sensitive spot for me, Justin, because <laughs> um, as I was writing that, I was like, "Fuck!" I sound like you know. I don't know, like some nonprofit or organization <laughs> saying like, <laughs> whatever, like raise your voices, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the look, I I stand I stand by that statement though because mm-hmm. first off, I think it is good. It it is certainly better than the alternative. Like the way the public comment period went is better than the alternative. So imagine like mm-hmm. 
whatever people didn't give a shit and didn't show up for the public comment and the track commission wrote a report that said a majority of commenters disapproved of the maps that would have been a bad <laughs> fact mm-hmm. um so 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 yeah one part of it was like participating in public comment but i think the more important part is like the shit we're doing tonight we're like this is boring but like <laughs> we should be paying attention and you know having this conversation and whatever like you know whoever has has managed to listen all the way through um (laughs) you know like educating ourselves where it's like okay there there are many ways that republicans are fucking us over and this is one of the ways look maybe we can't stop it but we definitely don't even have a chance of stopping it until we understand how they're fucking us over so if we just throw up our hands and say ah whatever they're gonna do whatever they want like why even pay attention (laughs) then They've, you know, we're, 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 we're seeding the ground to them. If we at least, you know, are paying attention and then, you know, whatever, when the revolution does come, we can come up with a better system where like, you know, there's not a, you know, every state gets to make up the rules or whatever. Yeah. I guess we can learn well, from the mistakes and- later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the deranged QAnon people are paying attention and yes. will be talking. Yeah. Like that's the other thing is like, they are like all up in school bird meetings. They're all in map meetings. They're all showing up for all this shit. So, like, some of us need to, too, because, like, libertarian sickos are everywhere. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they love to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think the school boards is a great example. I don't want to go to a school board meeting. You know, that's boring as yeah. shit. But, like, you know, <laughs> these people keep showing up and, like, they're running so many of the cra- – so many crazies are running. They're going to just, like – again, elections are about math, and it's, like, mathematically <laughs> – they're contesting so many races that they're they're going to take over. You know, they're they're going to do really well this year. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what that means for redistricting, I think, is like in in Iowa, it's like you know we don't have a ton of champions at the state house, <laughs> and so it's easy. I mean, I find it easy to like tune out what's happening at the legislature, but I think this is like one issue, or whatever, like all, all issues. But like, this is one issue where I think like. There's going to be a lot of like very esoteric chatter about this over the next couple months. And like, you know, if if someone's like, look, I don't identify at all with the Legislative Democratic Caucus. Yeah. <laughs> like and you know, so the fact that Jennifer <laughs> Confirst is saying the Republicans are stealing our democracy, if that doesn't mean anything to you, that's fine. But they actually are stealing our democracy. <laughs> and so, and so, um, and we also know, look, we also know that, um, if it does go to the Supreme, you know, let the legis- legislature is to some degree, even Republicans to some degree are receptive to public pressure. I'm not saying like whatever mm-hmm. we can protest our way to good maps, but like there yeah. is some degree of public pressure there, but then you got the Supreme court too, which, uh, isn't used to, <laughs> public pressure and they they love the idea that they're nonpartisan and whatever so like mm. you know i think there's more leverage there where the lawyers can do their thing but if there's like this massive outcry yeah and it's not just the usual voices of like you know people who are like at the state house all the time whatever again i sound like a nonprofit. evan what were you gonna say <laughs> oh no i was just agreeing the fact that like they're gonna have to uh the appearance of fairness is important to them and so yeah. just yeah. was just agreeing with you yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm not like I'm not I'm not going to be here like as an optimist, 
but uh, <laughs> I would love some judges to feel upset. So I really hope that this is. I like it when they are uncomfortable. Yeah. So if it drags time. out, I assume there'll yeah, be yeah. a lot more people paying attention. I mean, you know, if it gets to third map, like obviously it's going to be a big story. Well, it'll be unprecedented. Yeah. So that's yeah. That'll get some some news. Yeah, I mean, the problem is like the media is, you know, Democratic Party is dying in Iowa. The media is dying in Iowa. It's like, yeah. Well, the media dying does leave a vacuum for us to fill. (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing, you know, there's this um, there's this Bertolt Brecht quote where it's like, um, try always, fail always, try again, fail, fail again, you know, fail better. (laughs) Like that's the movement. That's the movement for me where it's like, are we going to win completely? No, we're not. But it's like, you got to, you, you know, if you don't try you know, whatever, you're never going to fail better. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's like a good motivational poster quote that I think would be uh, <laughs> on my wall if I were president. <laughs> yeah, it kind of pushes against the constant demoralization that you get following uh, Iowa politics. So there was a, a quote from you in your second redistricting article. You wrote this in February of 2021. And I, I just wanted to make it clear to the people listening that you're not just strictly like a data nerd. Uh, you are thinking about this in terms of like how to make things better. So this is what Evan wrote in February. The single best way for Democrats to win congressional seats in Iowa is not to draw favorable districts, but to improve margins in rural counties. As long as Democrats keep losing rural areas, Iowa will be a red state. Part of the work to reverse that trend is on the policy front, building out a rural platform that goes beyond ethanol and broadband, but policy alone (laughs) won't fix the problem. A bigger part of the solution is having a meaningful presence in rural communities, perhaps through the year-round organizing efforts that new IDP chair Ross Wilburn has been talking up. So it's been a few months since February. Uh... Where do you think we stand now? Or where do you think the Democrats stand now? I don't necessarily like using the word we when I talk about that. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, well, first I'll talk about the positive, which is, um, <laughs> in, in, in my opinion, well, this, whatever, just to restate what, what you said, the mm-hmm. current party coalitions are extremely unfavorable to Democrats here in Iowa. You know, there's this party coalition of urban voters, people of color, the professional managerial class that make, you know, that's the core of the democratic party. And that's kind of a winning coalition on the national level, but it's very much a losing coalition here in Iowa. (laughs) Then it is like a a badly enough losing coalition that we don't even really have a chance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's important to pay attention to redistricting, but we shouldn't think that, oh, if we just draw the districts well enough, there's some sort of like legislative map that will give us the majority. Um, yeah, if and- I can interject here, in, your, in all of your hypothetical scenarios that you lay out in your articles, even the most favorable maps yes. for Democrats, it was like 51 or 52 percent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so here here's one route. He, there, there are a couple routes to a majority, a democratic majority in the state house. Mm-hmm. And again, this is why I think electoral politics matters. Cause like, unless you think we can overthrow the system of government we have like in the near future, like it does mm-hmm. matter. <laughs> and the question of do Democrats even have a shot in Iowa <laughs> matters yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if you look at, if you look at the numbers, like 
one route to a majority that Democrats have, and this is the one they've been pursuing, is to do better, keep keep their how well they're doing in urban areas where you know like they sweep all the Des Moines districts. Yeah. But then they do better in suburban districts, right? And they just don't give a shit about rural districts and small cities. That's one that's the route to the majority that they've been selling. And if you look at the numbers, it, it the, to, in order to do that, the suburbs would have to be as democratic as the core of Des Moines currently is. <laughs> so yeah. so that, you know, it maybe maybe you think that's realistic. Maybe you think that Ankeny will right. I was going to say Ankeny, yeah. Currently represented by QAnon enthusiasts. <laughs> Those suburban people are fickle. Yeah, yeah, maybe. They can't make up their minds. You know, they, they, they flipped a little bit for Democrats last time around. Maybe they'll just keep flipping and all of a sudden they'll turn into, you know, like Josh Mandelbaum or something. And <laughs> that would um, be great. <laughs> so that's one path to a majority. I don't think that's very likely. In fact, I think it's not even worth considering. Yeah. Um, and if you want any other sort of path to majority here in Iowa, even with the um, population shifts that we've seen over the last 10 years where people, you know, rural areas are being depopulated and urban areas are are growing in a population. Even with that shift, there still aren't enough urban districts or even suburban districts for Democrats to, to get to a majority. So you have to win some of these rural areas and you have to win some of these small cities. And I distinguish between the two because, you know, historically, Democrats have done, you know, whatever, 10 years ago, even <clears throat> Democrats would regularly win places like Newton and Burlington. Yeah. Right. And, um, Boone, you know, these small cities. And, you know, so you could you could think of, you know, if you're if you're drawing these paths, you can say like, okay, we're never going to win Sioux County. <laughs> we're never going to win Lyon County or Adams County. But maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll do better in Newton and we'll do better in Muscatine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, is is like is a path. So like you could say like, okay, well, you know, if Democrats can hold their gains in suburban areas, and they win these small cities again, then they don't really have to do any better in rural areas. That's that's one path. But you know, a more realistic path is to say, look, this whole geographically polarized coalition structure is complete, is never gonna work here in Iowa. It's too yeah. rural. Maybe we can wait 40 years and rural depopulate depopulation will take its toll and will become, you know, like a Minnesota. But I'm not willing to wait that long. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I think this like culture war stuff around rural versus urban areas where Democrats literally, you know, this whole, you know, you in my in that line of mind that you quoted so generously back to me, <laughs> um, you know, the ethanol and broadband platform is an insult. It's like, yeah. you know. I again I live in I live in a rural area, you know, it's doing, you know, Slater's doing fine because we are close enough to Des Moines and Ames that people can commute. If we mm-hmm. were an hour west, we would be dying just like every other small town in western Iowa is dying. Yeah. And just to put a really fine point on it, here's another place where like, you know, numbers, whatever I think can illustrate something. Uh, you know, a lot of these rural counties and rural cities, it, it, in this last census, one thing that we saw was you know, a lot of these rural rural areas are shrunk by like 10% over the last 10 years. So like, imagine you're living in an area, any area, and one out of every 10 people. So like at the beginning of the 10 year period, so back in 2010, 
you know, like a hundred people. Right. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it, 10 of them have died and moved away and no one new has come into the area. Like it's shrunk by that much. And not only that, but it's been shrinking at that rate for 40, 50 years now. Mm -hmm. Like no wonder, uh, you know, again, I'll relate it to the, we can't govern stuff. No wonder people in rural Iowa aren't voting for Democrats. Cause like if I'm in, if I live in an area like that, and you can imagine like someone who's in like some sort of war torn whatever area, mm-hmm. like similarly, like ten percent of the population just like disappears, you know, over the course of a decade. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna want like whatever party is saying we're gonna change things, we're gonna like reshuffle the deck, and like maybe things will be better. That's the party I'm going for. That's the candidate yeah. I'm going for. And I think we have proof of this in Iowa, where like if you look at the number of Obama to Trump counties here in Iowa. From 2012 to 2016, not even like 08 to 20, like, yeah, sure, like that's a big range. But if you just look at 12 to 16, yeah, the number of counties that flip from Obama to Trump is, is incredible. And it's yeah. like, again, you can, you can think about the different theories here. <laughs> so, like, one theory is like, all right, people just got super racist. Yeah. Not <laughs> they woke up and they chose racism. Yeah. And not, they, they chose racism not in Obama's first term, but in his second term. They're like, all right, I'm with you through the Tea Party wave. I'm going to vote for you in 12. But then in that second term, when nothing really happened, <laughs> um, I decided I don't like black people and I'm going to vote for Trump. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, you can think back to, okay, what was Obama's brand? Uh, Hope and change. What was Trump's brand? I'm going to fuck shit up. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe there's like a bit of a continuity there. Common theme. Yeah. (laughs) What sorts of like policy issues have you seen that people like really do care about in those places that are strengthening? Because like, I mean, the ethanol and broadband is like so condescending and like, it like implies like you guys don't have internet, so we'll give you some internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once you get internet, you'll get smarter over there. Yeah. You'll think like us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, all the QAnon of, people kinds of have people Facebook about out there. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm a socialist, so I think it's, it's clashed issues. And I mean, if you're talking right. rural areas... It's the same sort of class division where you got your Bruce Rastetters and your big farmers on top, especially if you look at agriculture. What? I mean, like the Democrats like mess this messaging up so badly, but it is true that like farmers over the last 40 years, you want to talk about like neoliberalization, like the number of farmers has shrunk in this state and the like size of those remaining farmers is enormous. And so like the idea that whatever, there's, there's this kind of nostalgic vision that like rural Iowa is just a bunch of, you know, guys with a few hundred acres or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's all, it's, it's all big guys. It's, it's all big farmers and they are guys, by the way, the landowners <laughs> might be women because they live longer than dudes. So they, you know, inherit the land, but, but the guys who are, who are, who are actually, who are, you know, farming the land, you know, it's like big, you know, whatever. And then like, people have to like work for those guys. All the, all the light industry has like moved out thanks to, you know, free trade and NAFTA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, it's the same shit. And I think that's why like the small city rural div- like, um, division is like helpful too, where it's like, no, we don't have to win in Sioux County, but like, maybe there's like an easy economic message, not easy, but like, there's a clear economic message a that we can talk message. to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that like, uh, maybe, you know, a former presidential candidate, but that maybe, you know, was on the scene in 2016 <laughs> and 2020 and uh-huh. kind of demonstrated <laughs> 
that there's a, there's a message that resonates with people in places like Burlington and Newton mm-hmm. and Muscatine. And, uh, and also, yeah, so I, I think it's a class message. And then I think um, there's, you know, then there's the other piece, which is like the changing dem- demographics of rural Iowa, where if Democrats <laughs> really cared about winning, winning rural areas, they would support a path to citizenship because right now they're an in insane number, you know, like there, there are so many mm-hmm. Latinx folks out there who just can't vote. Like they are like full on members of the community yeah. in these yeah. rural areas, but they are totally disenfranchised because the immigration system is so broken. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, if I were Nancy Pelosi and I'm like, how do I protect my frontline members? It's like a path <laughs> to citizenship is like the number one way. What are you talking about? I don't know. So no, yeah. that's my, that's my answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if the democratic party uh, created a new religion and then <laughs> set up a church in all of these small cities? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Cause I think, I don't know. I'm joking obviously, but like, it seems like these communities have, you know, Republicans have church where they have, you know, a sort of like community cohesion and like shared values or whatever, but it, there isn't really an equivalent to that in heaven. There used yeah. to be though. And it was called unions. Right? That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> Good thing. That's true. <laughs> I mean, well, it doesn't have all the like afterlife stuff. Right. It has the social cohesion stuff. Well, a lot of people say Marxism is a religion. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, from your lips to Ross Wilburn's ears, I guess. Uh, God, I wish. <laughs> he he maybe listens to this. I don't know. I Can I speak to that, Justin? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you asked me, like, how has it gone? You know, like, you give me this quote, and then mm-hmm. how, how has it gone since then? No, I haven't yeah. seen anything. Daddy P is, is, is doing the same thing. It always has. Um, yeah, that's, that's the impression I've been getting as well. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, it's <clears throat> everyone gets their paychecks, right? The consultants get, you know, get their paychecks and the uh, operatives get their paychecks. And, um, you know, as long as they're able to convince the national donor class that Iowa is like close to competitive, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. torrents of money come in every two years, not even every four years with the caucuses, like even if the caucuses went away every two years, you know, the Teresa Greenfield and the the Bruce Braley, you know, they open the, the floodgates, not J.D. Shulton. He doesn't get any support. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he got shut off. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they open the floodgates, and um, the uh, yeah, everyone gets paid. And you know, if you look at things from like the people who, or, you know, who direct the Iowa Democratic Party, like who you know have a say in what direction it takes, they're all doing great because like Iowa is just enough of a battleground to to still be profitable, justify but, their jobs. Yeah, 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 but. You know, if you care about winning, <laughs> uh, we're doing pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've got a little bit of time to get into the, this can be like the dessert of the episode. So the reason that we kind of started talking to each other, uh, Evan and, and us, uh, a while back, we did an episode about the IDP's internal review of the 2020 caucus and uh, <laughs> Mr. Berger here listened to that episode and enjoyed it. And he was a, a bit of an insider. He, we oh, mentioned okay. earlier, he was the, uh, the caucus director for the Bernie Sanders campaign. So I thought it would be fun if we could just get like a little bit of uh, the inside scoop. Like how was that process for you? Like that was your job. <laughs> and yeah. it, it ended up, for you. it so ended in mad. just, yeah, catastrophe. We were just precinct captains, and we were. 
Um, yeah, I mean, what I said to you, Justin, when you invited me on this time was, um, I, I it seems like a long time ago, by which I mean yeah. I blocked it out, mostly because of sleep deprivation <laughs> at that time, but also because it was uh, not good. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, Iowa was great for Bernie in, right up until the end. I mean, even at the end, it was great for Bernie. So yeah. just to remind us when all. When he won. When he we won fucking the won the caucus. state, right? Yep. You get an amen for that, right? Amen. And, uh, you know, it's one of these fun, th- funny things. You know, we, someone should tell um, Secretary Buttigieg that <laughs> the delegates actually didn't matter in the end, yeah. just like yep. we said from the beginning that they didn't matter <laughs> yeah. uh, because he dropped the fuck out pretty early on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was no, I mean, look, I'll, again, I'll start with the good stuff and then we can talk about the end. The, um, look, Iowa was great. And this is why, like, I do think the caucus system has whatever I'm, I like have some love for it, uh-huh. um, which is that it, it, it's an organized, it's a test of organizing, Right. So like when you get to a state like California or Virginia or whatever, look, it, it's just an ad, ad war. Like that's how um, modern campaigns work in those giant places. Mm-hmm. And in Iowa, it is different. And in Nevada, it is different. There is a chance for a camp campaign like Bernie 2016 to like come out of the woodwork, get some grassroots support. And because it is a smaller event, you know, be a, like a serious candidate that they never would have been if the race, if it was a national primary and everyone just like Bloomberg bought a bunch of ads and, (laughs) uh, and Bernie, you know, like tried to do some stuff, but (laughs) it was just swamped by money. He was doing backyard events like the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. So I will, I will, I like, I am extremely proud of the work we did on Bernie. Like whatever. It was like, you know, I wish I could go back to it every day. (laughs) We do too. Remember what it felt like you guys. (laughs) It was so good. It was so good. And it wasn't just like feel good shit. It was like, no, we are actually out organizing the competition in a way that matters. It's like, yeah, yeah, like the whole shit with like, you know, all these Democratic Party events and they want us to pay all the money to buy the tickets. And then we just show up and we take over like a street in downtown Des Moines. That was like like the New Year's thing, right? Uh, No, it was the Liberty and Justice dinner. Yes, yes, I remember that. No, we did a New Year's thing too, but the street street protest was the LJ. The day Beto dropped out. Yes, that was. I was going to say I went to that rally. (laughs) Yeah, and we did march, and that was yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, I went that. I went with you. Yeah, you you guys slept a little early. (laughs) Yeah, because didn't you? Didn't you get a Beto sign then, or was that the Yeah, state I part? got a Beto sign. <laughs> there, were, there was a guy out there collecting them. <laughs> was it Beto? It was not Beto. <laughs> but I was like, hey, can I grab one of those? I see it every time I pulled into my garage. <laughs> yep. no, Beto, that was great. I mean, that's an, that, I love that because it's like, this is how candidates think about their supporters. So like, or their, you know, workers. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah, all of the organizers spent like, you know, weeks building up to this turning everyone out you know they're like on the phone every day it's like no 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 you gotta come we gotta show support for Beto like you gotta come at 6 a.m like you, know, you gotta be here at 6 a.m you gotta get up at four and you know in, in, in Mitchellville or whatever and you gotta drive here and then and then they get there and the candidate like nowhere to be seen you know, and they're, they're waving signs right and they're sweating Someone passes out from heat exhaustion. And then at four o'clock, Beto's like, 
they're like, Beto's going, he's going to talk down by the river. He walks up and he's like, I just can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bernie would never do that shit to us. Look, for all his flaws. (laughs) All right, so you you said the good, now... Now it's time to talk shit, right? No, 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 no. I still got more good. Justin, that was oh, the oh, highlight. Okay. Oh, my God. Right. No, he thought that was the highlight. No, no, no. Meadow so. dropping out was everyone's highlight. <laughs> I'm just so excited for the negativity. <laughs> Lay it on me. Um, no, no. I mean, the, the peak was like those satellite caucuses the night before. So, you know, this yeah. is the whole compromise between the DNC and the Iowa Democratic Party, where it's like DNC says... You have to have some sort of way for people to participate who are busy on a Monday night. And the IDP says, okay, great. We'll do a virtual caucus. And the DNC says, oh, no, we no. didn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the drawing board. And then they came up with a satellite caucus idea, which uh, was great for us. Um, <laughs> and uh, because, but, you know, I, I joke, but it was precisely because it was an organizing event, mm-hmm. right? So Joe Biden did not bother organizing in-state satellite caucuses. They, their campaign did organize satellite caucuses of Iowa retirees in Florida, and they tried to compete for those out-of-state satellite caucus delegates. Right. But um, in-state, it's like everyone knew, and we were all operating under the same rules. Everyone knew if you, were, if you can find someone, all you got to do is find someone who says, I can't make it. I want to do a satellite caucus at my community center or at my workplace or at my mm-hmm. nursing home and the IDP basically just approved them all. Yeah, and right. we took it seriously because we're like, Oh wow. I can't remember how, how many delegates were at stake there. It was like four or something. State, uh, state delegates and um, yeah. SDs. And uh, <laughs> we took it seriously. We're like, we're going to fight for every last one and we're going to organize the hell out of this thing. And you know, there were, there were some great staff, Jonah Furman, shout out to Jonah. He writes for labor notes now, but he was an organizer mm-hmm. with, with Bernie came in and organized like all those workplaces um, for satellite caucuses. Um, some John Deere workplaces, uh, you know, oh, going yeah, on yeah. strike They're... perhaps right. in uh, four hours. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, there were, you know, so there, so there were satellite caucuses that happened earlier in the day on caucus day and we won them like 90% to 10 <laughs> yeah, or yeah. like 85, 15 or whatever. That was and, with like uh, a bunch of factory workers. Yeah. yeah There's a bunch of meatpacking like immigrants. Yeah, yeah. And yep. there's, a, I know the iconic photo where it's like, they're all have Bernie signs and there's like one lady in the corner with yeah. a Warren <laughs> sign and she's not very happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was UFCW in Atomo. But that was like one story out of many. I mean, I went to a satellite mm. caucus because obviously I was going to be a little bit busy um, right. when the actual caucuses were happening. So I went to the Drake one, you know, again, it was like an organizing event. Like you could just turn out as many people as you wanted. I didn't have to give it, you know, all I had to do was say like, I'm going to be working or whatever. I could just show mm-hmm. up and do that one. And um, yeah, it was great. We won that one. We won all of them. You know, it was great. <laughs> so, so that was a high point. We came into it. It's like, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, like it's, you know, they start, the start time comes. We have this entire, like, um, mini call center of out-of-state volunteers who are like manning the phones, taking calls from our precinct captains. And, uh, you know, I had a direct line to the IDP. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there are problems that we needed to escalate and, um, yeah, you know, it's like seven o'clock, eight o'clock, like, it's like, okay, this is going well. It's like, um, all right, we should be seeing some results soon. You know, 
top leadership is in this headquarters. <laughs> We've got, you know, these very complicated, way above my head, these very complicated uh, programs to <laughs> say, okay, we're winning, we're outperforming among this demographic, we're underperforming among this demographic, therefore we think we're going to win, we're thinking we're going to lose. And um, the one premise was that we would have some sort of data. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, that was um, a mistake <laughs> to <laughs> assume that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, most of my caucus night was uh, explaining to people, like, no, there still aren't any results. <laughs> yeah, so you guys had your own call center, huh? Yeah, oh, God, yes, do, of course. Do yes, you know yes, yes. how many people you had on the phones? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know your next question. <laughs> it was it was like 30, which is probably what the IDP had. Yeah, I think that's I think more. That's than what more. They had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember the exact numbers. It's been a while since we read that document, but yeah, it seems like one campaign being like as staffed as the party <laughs> right. that night seems. seems My wrong. mom just <laughs> met someone who is actually in the IDP boiler room, just randomly. Like she went into a law office for some legal matters <laughs> and. They're like, oh yeah, I was uh, one of the people on the phones. <laughs> the oh, yeah, no, I some, we had some people in there. I mean, not, they, were, they weren't like placed or anything. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had plants, yeah. No, we Spies. did not have plants, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that you know, and then it gets to like whatever. I'm already look. I'm if you're asking my personal story, I was um, extremely exhausted. Yeah. Um, I had a one year old at home at the time. <laughs> And, uh, that I hadn't seen for, um, a couple months and, uh, you know, it gets to be midnight or whatever. It's like, okay, well, we got to start calling our precinct captains and compiling our own results. Yeah. And we did that until 4am. The fucking volunteers were incredible. I mean, of course, like across the entire campaign, like that's what powered the burning campaign, but the out of state volunteers who were there, they came to Iowa. They were like, we're going to be here for the caucus. We're going to like help win this state. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they were, <laughs> it was insane. Like we had to kick them out at the end. You know, it was like 4 a.m. It's like, look, I'm going home. I'm sorry. You got to go home too. Like you can't call. <laughs> and the other insane thing was that people were picking up. Imagine a phone yeah. bank that you're doing at two in the morning <laughs> yeah. and people are answering and they're having these long <laughs> conversations where they're like, yeah, you know, the, the Buttigieg captain was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> they counted the numbers wrong. And, yeah, like, yeah. and um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was surreal. And then, uh, you know, I went home and slept for a couple hours, went back the next day and it's like, all right, what's our plan of attack? And um, we compiled all this shit and we, I mean, everyone knows this, but just to say it out loud again, mm-hmm. the numbers were a joke. The official numbers were a joke. And I especially feel bad saying this now because people who aren't super plugged into democratic politics, like it sounds like I'm a QAnon guy or whatever, like, um, you know, a a Trump (laughs) guy, right? Where it's like, no, the numbers were fake. No, they actually were fake because it was all run by non-professional, like people who don't run elections, right? Like that was not their primary job. And so Mm -hmm. like, I just want it, the record to state, like, I just want the history books to be written. Like, I know the history books are going to be written where it's like in February of 2020, <laughs> Bernie <laughs> said, these numbers are fake. And then in November of 2020, sure enough, Trump said the yep. numbers are fake. It was like the year <laughs> yeah. of fake numbers. No, they were totally Populism. different things. 
Totally. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like horse shit theory. Sorry. <laughs> um, too, too corny. Too corny. So, um, but no, I mean, I just want everyone to remember the numbers were actually fake. Anyone could look at the numbers, right? I mean, I don't oh, know. Yeah, Did we you were correcting stuff on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The data was out there and like we could see the mistakes and like it wasn't being corrected on the official website right. and everything. Yeah. Do you remember the um the data dump when Deval Patrick uh took the lead? <laughs> no, but that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, there I, were... I like vaguely remember that he had a campaign kind of. <laughs> right, yeah, right. no one no one at our precinct knew who that was. No, no one at, <laughs> no one at any precinct knew who that was. The the columns were mislabeled, so they yeah, publicly yeah. released some data and uh, the Deval, you know, they put the Warren stuff and the Deval Patrick or something. So it was uh, bad. But the, <laughs> again, I had this great team. I mean, again, shout out to Harry, Steph, you know, Clay, Finn, Rashad. Like we had this amazing team. Um, we were just in this room at Bernie HQ. Everyone else left. You know, the whole thing with presidential campaigns is like the caucuses are over, it evaporates. That's yeah. a huge problem with Iowa, I think, is that everyone thinks about politics in terms of like, oh, yeah, I volunteer every four years for my preferred mm-hmm. candidate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like the organizing infrastructure disappears and like, you know, we're just kind of adrift, you know. So everyone's packing up. People are saying their goodbyes, you know, <laughs> whatever. And like my team was just in this room, you know, with monitors like surrounding the uh, the walls. <laughs> And uh, a whiteboard <laughs> and we're like, oh yeah, you know, we cut, we come up with this whole process for tracking irregularities. We mm-hmm. compile this report, we send it in. Um, we request, you know, a re-canvas. We request in, and you know, I go to the re-canvas and it's clear that some of the people there didn't know what the rules of the caucuses were. <laughs> some of the people yeah. doing the re-canvas did not know what the rules <laughs> of the caucus were. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And then we did the recount. And at that point, it was like, this is uh, a broken system. <laughs> yeah. um, so in spite of all this, again, so I'll bring it back to the optimism. Okay. Again, I do think like the caucuses are worth saving. You know, you were like, let's all shit talk the caucuses. I, I think they're worth saving. Hmm. And um, the, re- <laughs> the okay. reason I think they're worth saving. <laughs> okay. Laugh some more. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, there it, it's an organizing event. So I think it is a relevant mm-hmm. consideration. So let's look at 2020. Joe Biden did not do very well in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Precisely because he was not running an organizing centric campaign. He was not doing any organizing. It was all just like right. name recognition and media. Yep. And mm-hmm. that was enough to win the nomination, but the general election was way closer than it should have been. It never should have been that close. Yeah. And yeah. that was precisely because it was very easy for the Biden campaign to say when the pandemic hit, we're not going to knock doors. We're not going to do any field. Thank God we don't have to do this stuff because all we want to do is media and coast on name recognition. And yeah. that I think can be directly traced back to his Iowa caucus loss. That wasn't just a fluke. Mm-hmm. That was an important moment that showed us what kind of campaign he was running and precisely yeah. why he was a weak candidate in the general election. And it showed how Bernie Sanders was strong on that front mm-hmm. and would not have just given up the ghost and let Trump knock doors in November. I mean, whatever, maybe it wasn't knocking doors, but like the organizing team on Bernie was the best organizing team that has ever been assembled. 
And those people would not have sat by idly and said, oh, like there's a once in a century pandemic. That's real. (laughs) We need to take that into consideration. But then they would have said, how do we organize in these conditions? How do, mm-hmm, how do yeah. we continue to talk to people and have real conversations where we actually move them on the issues instead of just saying, do you support Biden? Yes or no? They say no. All right, we're not going to talk to you anymore. Like, <laughs> we just want to collect the yeses and make sure you vote. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a relevant consideration. That's why Iowa is important. Boom. That's my argument. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it rewards enthusiasm and that's what we need more of. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, we were, I was still text banking long after we were a lost cause during the pandemic. So, I mean, there's truth there. Like, to have people dedicated to, like, actually moving people, I think, yeah. I mean, the the Democrats, I I don't know what 2024 is going to look like, but probably not great. (laughs) Because this isn't like a a continuing building. It's just like a coasting, as you said. Well, yeah, I know. It's the we can't govern, we hate life and ourselves. It's also, it it relates back to the census stuff. Look, it's not only a problem for us here in Iowa that Democrats don't care about rural people. Yeah. It's a problem for Democrats in the entire country because the Senate is is drastically tilted in favor of rural states. And so yeah. that's why yeah. we're seeing Joe Manchin have all the, you know, he's he's holding up the entire process is because Democrats are like, oh, we'll just keep winning urban areas. It feels really good. I'm here in New York. I'm here in L.A. <laughs> we're, we, we, we've swept it. You know, we control every level of government. Let's just replicate this across the country. All we have to do is win win cities. That's not a winning strategy in Iowa. And it's also increasingly not a winning strategy nationally. Yeah. When we don't have a, an actual like proportional representative yeah, a uh, house of government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. All right. <laughs> well, Evan, I know that you have a hard out in a couple minutes here. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, really digging into uh, a uh, an issue that is important and hard to pay attention to. It's, it's good to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about and is actually yeah. like enthusiastic about this. Yeah. That was awesome. And- you made I kept my attention the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're lying, but that I, I appreciate you saying it. I am not lying. No, she is being 100% sincere. I'm <laughs> being 100% sincere. Yeah. Yeah, it's we good know to know there are like people like you out there who are ideologically aligned with us. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. keep it up, man. Yeah, yeah, you guys are rock. I mean, you're doing better work than I am with uh, <laughs> winning yeah. hearts and minds, you know? Maybe. I think we're, yeah. <laughs> we present persuasive arguments every day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that'll do it for our 69th episode. Thanks again to Evan Berger, our guest. Uh, Evan, is there anything you would like our listeners to do, uh, like look you up online, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, not super active. Mm-hmm. Evan underscore Berger. I mean, I think what people should do is pay attention next week when <laughs> the special session comes uh, comes around and we can see how badly the Republicans want to fuck us. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine you will be writing further on the subject yes. so we can we can read your articles on that. Indeed. Awesome. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night.
nàng 